Good morning. Uh, my name is, is Jordan, and I'm a local pastor here uh, with Church 21. I'm so grateful to be joining you all across the city of Montreal this morning, wherever you're tuning in. Um, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, during lockdown, we've, we've been in this sermon series called Remodel, and thinking about how we can remodel our hearts. And this is going to be the last sermon in in that series on remodeling our hearts. It's a sermon on discipleship. And why is it to, why are we ending it out with this sermon? Well, it's because discipleship, it encapsulates everything that we've been talking about in this series so far. That to be a disciple is to be somebody who is praying, that was one of our sermons, somebody who understands their complete dependence on God and is sustained by Him. That to be a disciple is somebody who is repentant, that they are fighting their sin. That to be a disciple is somebody who pursues being filled with the Spirit, that they love the presence of God, and they, they are pursuing His presence. They want His presence to come down in renewal. That to be a disciple is somebody who, who stewards their resources, be it hospitality or their treasure, like was talked about last week, because they see everything as a gift from God. And so, Essentially, you can see how discipleship, it encapsulates everything that we have been talking about so far in this remodel series. It is the essence of Christian living. Let me pray and ask for God's help again as we get into it. Lord, I need your spirit. All of us need your spirit. Father, I pray that you would be at work in us to move us into a greater place of, of self-denial and, and, and pursuit of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So discipleship is the essence of Christian living. We are all disciples. That is, every true Christian is a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It was so great to see uh, Nehemiah up here this morning. It doesn't matter if you became a Christian 10 years ago or you became a Christian yesterday. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus. But I think it's important that before I get into the meat of what we're talking about today, about being a mature disciple, it's important I define what I mean by a disciple. Because if you've been around church community for a while, it's easy for these, these words to sort of start to lose their meaning. So we talk about things like, oh, are you, you know, sharing your faith? Like, are you making disciples? Are you in a discipleship program? We throw this language all around the time, but I don't think, we've almost just assumed we know what we mean, but I don't, I don't think we're actually all on the same page when we talk about what it means to be a disciple. So it's important that we talk about uh, that today, discipleship. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pack, why are we a disciple of Jesus? And in that, I'll define it. But why are we a disciple of Jesus? What is the goal of discipleship? And then finally, how do we grow as a mature disciple? So why be a disciple of Jesus? What is the goal of the disciple? And how do we grow to be a mature disciple? So first, why be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus defines being a disciple in Luke 9, 23. It says this, Jesus said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That to be a disciple is, in short, to follow Jesus. 
before I unpack what it means to follow Jesus, some of you here might be listening and wondering, well, why Jesus? Why, why follow Jesus? And if that's you, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so grateful uh, for you being here. And I also want to say that this is the right question to ask. Why Jesus? Because I can certainly appreciate how, from an outside perspective, the idea of following a, a spiritual sage from about 2,000 years ago would seem a pretty strange idea. Like, why would we do that? But let me, let me start by saying this, is that recognize that we are all disciples of someone or some way of thinking. See, as much as we want to think like I'm a, an authentic th- thinker, I'm an autonomous person or whatever, the reality is, is that our beliefs are much more influenced and led and marketed to than we would like to admit. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just finishing out the end of a job in marketing to transition into pastoral ministry full-time. And so I think I can speak some, some sort of anecdotal authority that we are genuinely more influenced by other people and ideas than we would, we would like to admit. And so what I'm saying is this. If, if you do not consciously choose to be a disciple of someone, you will be discipled. And so why Jesus? Well, because Jesus claimed to be more than just a great spiritual sage. He actually claimed to be God, and then he demonstrated that through his life, death, and resurrection. And so I want to know, as a disciple, I want to know what I'm getting into. I want to know who I'm following. And because of who Jesus is and what he's done, I believe he is the only one who is truly worth following with your whole life. That is why I follow Jesus. But let me unpack that even a bit more. What do I mean by Jesus' life and death and resurrection? Some of this was touched on in the scripture that Nehemiah read this morning in in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. I'll go to the end of verse 13. It says this, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So you can see right here that Jesus is more than just a great spiritual sage. He's actually referred to as a God. Uh, A Savior, that means he He rescues us. So he's a God who rescues, who in verse 14 it says, who gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness. That Jesus has rescued us from lawlessness. Now what is the lawlessness that he's referring to here? Now, I get the impression, as I walk around Montreal, and I see some of the light posts, they have this sort of like A scrawled on it for... um, anarchist, I get the impression that some people think that this is not that bad an idea after all. (laughs) Lawlessness, what's wrong with lawlessness? You know, who needs to be rescued from lawlessness? It actually also makes me think of uh, a TikTok video that my sister-in-law showed us. It was, you know, 10 things you, you should do during COVID to stay healthy. And there's this really, this guy looking pretty down and he's reading through, it must have been like health recommendations. And so he gets, you know, here's the first one. It says, you know, don't start and end your day on your mobile device. And he's like, oh, no, can't do it. Okay, next one. Get exercise every day. Oh, no, this one's not for me. Okay, let's see what the next one is. Number three. Go to bed at a regular time. Oh, no, this one won't work for me either. Next one. And he goes through all 10 of them that way. 
And I think the point of it, it's, it was funny, but the point of it was, was showing that there's this sort of natural law, what we would call health recommendations, that govern the flourishing of our bodies. And yet, even though we know it destroys us, we don't have the desire, more or less the ability, to actually keep those things, right? And so, how much more so than a sort of natural law that governs the flourishing of our bodies, how much more so when it comes to a divine moral law that God has given us for the flourishing of mankind in right relationship with him and neighbor, right? We don't have the ability, more or less even the desire, to be able to keep something like that. And so lawlessness is not living in a country with with no laws. It's living unable. It's living unwilling to be able to meet God's law. And so we need to be rescued from this kind of thing. We need to be rescued from it because it leads to our own destruction. And yet we are able, unable to do it ourselves. And this is what the message of Jesus is, is that God in Christ, God in Jesus, he comes down. And what you'd expect with him coming down in response to our lawlessness, this is why he came down, what you would expect is what? If he comes for a lawlessness, you would expect that he comes in judgment, right? But what does it say in our text? Titus 2, 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared. Not the judgment of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That God came down in Jesus not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is his grace to all who will believe. It says here to all people that this includes you. This can be for you, that there is no limit on the grace of God available in Christ Jesus for you today being extended to you. The only condition is that you need to see your need for it. And when you've done that, it's so simple and yet so profound. You become a disciple of Jesus. You become somebody who's been rescued by his amazing grace, something we sing about. You might <laughs> remember the song. And so the answer to the question, why follow Jesus? Well, it's because he's more than a great spiritual sage. He's what it says here in Titus 2.13, a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us. This is why we are all about Jesus. Now, What does it mean to follow this Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? Let's go back to Luke 9.23, where Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. And you can see right here in Jesus' definition of being a disciple, right here he includes denying yourself and taking up your cross as part of what it means to follow him. The, the, the self-denial in, deni- in discipleship is so explicit. And yet what guts me, what cuts me, what gets to me is that so often I meet with Christians who are trying to pursue a discipleship that is not about self-denial, but has been made all about them. A sort of self-actualization, a sort of self-improvement. It's almost as if we've taken all the books on self-help in the bookshelf and we just put like a Christian book cover on them. (laughs) We say we're following Jesus, but we're actually following charting our own course, and just sort of inviting him along for the ride. You know, I once heard a a preacher named J. John use this illustration, and it it stood out to me. I never forgot it, so I'm going to give it to you now. He said that when you become a Christian, 
It's like you invite Jesus into the car of your life. And then he asks this question, where is he in the car? You know, do you finish Sunday gathering at the end of the gathering? You say, come over here, Jesus, it's been a couple hours. Here, get right here, get in the trunk. You say, bye, see you next week. And you go off your own way. (laughs) Well, no, where is Jesus in your car? Like, we know he's not supposed to be in the trunk. You say, well, is he in, is he in the backseat? He's sort of like a, com- a, a companion, you know, someone you can talk to as you're going, you know, the places that you want to go. Or maybe he's, maybe he's in the front seat, but if he's in the, the front seat, he's still like a passenger. But the point is, you get it, you know where I'm going. The point is, is not that Jesus is a passenger. The point is that Jesus is in the driver's seat of your life. But then let me ask you this. Are you a backseat driver? And Jesus says, hey, go here left down the road of, you know, generosity street. You're like, no, no, Jesus, not that way. Or go this way down the road of forgiveness. You're like, I can't do that. Definitely not this way, Jesus. No, 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 stop the car, right? Where is Jesus in the car of your life? You know, last week when, when Brian was talking about financial stewardship, it raised in me, it reminded me all of these these deep insecurities that I have around finances, stuff from my past, even stuff from my more recently in our, in our lives. And yet as he was preaching, I felt Jesus moving my affections, turning the steering wheel of the car of my life and saying, come this way. You can trust me. Look at my kingdom. Look at who I am. Look at my goodness. Trust me in my goodness. And I felt even my affection shift as he was preaching. Jesus taking over the car of my life, moving a bit, bit further along that path of discipleship towards his kingdom. And so you can see in this, discipleship is difficult. Discipleship is hard. It runs up against everything I want. It'll run up against everything you want. But the point is, it's not about us. (laughs) So often, right, we want someone just sort of come along and and ride with us and pat us on the back as we self-actualize. But Jesus is not along with you, riding along with you like a coach to pat you on your back. He is your Lord. (laughs) Don't, he's not in it to follow you. You're in it to follow him. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Man, I would, I would stop getting on about this, but I think this self-actualizing discipleship stuff actually runs so stinking deep. I mean, how many of us can, can unpack our sort of psychological history, can go into the depths of our Enneagram type and explore all of these emotional, healthy attributes way better and in way more detail than we can explore and unpack the God that we worship to someone around us? Like, what is going on? I mean, these things are not wrong, but the weight that we put on them shows where the focus of our heart really is. My goodness, guys, I think what is happening in this, I spent some time thinking about this. I think what is happening when we do this is that we are so desperate to learn to love ourselves that we keep going to these things. We, we keep going to psychology and, and self-help and emotionally healthy stuff. And again, it's not bad stuff. It's all good stuff. We're trying to be healthy. We're trying to learn to love ourselves. And yet we're so stinking deeply insecure in that. And so we're going to this stuff. And we're even bringing church pastors along as life coach to help us do this. But here's the reality, guys. The reality is that you're never going to love yourself until you first see how much God has loved you first. And you will never know how much God has loved you first until you love him just for who he is. 
Focus on that. My goodness. Focus on that. Because it's only when you see the grace he extends to you, it's only when you see that grace that he has extended to you as unmerited and unlimited, it's only when you see how much God fully accepts you in Jesus Christ that you will find yourself fully secure in him. This is why, this is why our discipleship is not about self-actualization. It is about self-denial into Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of God in your life this way? Has it changed your heart to this extent? My goodness. He's the source, guys. He's the reason. He's the sustainer of our discipleship. It all flows from him. It all flows to him. It is all about him. The disciple is someone who denies himself to follow Jesus. You know, before I go on, I want to... I want to actually ask myself the question for you. What is it meant for me, as we talk about why Jesus and being a disciple of him, why be a disciple of Jesus, what is it meant for me personally to be a disciple of Jesus? And I think two things kind of spring to mind. One is that being a disciple of Jesus has meant that I no longer wrestle with the existential angst that once gripped my heart. Um, questions about what am I supposed to be doing with my life, questions about who am I as a person, questions about, you know, all of this kind of stuff. It brought me such insecurity. And then in addition to that, knowing that the culture around me was marketing and vying to, like, not just get me, but to sort of exploit me as a commodity, what I found in Jesus was something completely different. He doesn't want to exploit me as a commodity. Rather, he gave himself for me to redeem me. And that has relieved me from so much angst, existential angst that I carried. This is one of the things that it's meant to me to be a disciple of Jesus. Another thing that it's meant for me to be a disciple of Jesus is like, I'm not alone. I know that no matter what happens, if I lose my children, my family, my wife, God forbid, I have a friend in Jesus, a friend that says that sticks closer than a brother. And you know, I'm very close to my brother, and yet Jesus, I know, he is faithful, and he will always be there no matter what happens uh, to him, right? And so that's, Jesus is a friend who will always be with you. Jesus is someone that brings meaning and purpose and satisfaction and identity into our lives, and that's some of what it's meant for me personally uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. And so you can see from this Being a disciple is not about being part of some program. Being a disciple is not about being a particular part of some church or about following me as a person. Being a disciple is about following Jesus, right? That's what it's all about. And so where are we going as we follow Jesus? Where are we going? What is the goal of discipleship? That's our sort of second point. The goal of discipleship here, I'll just say it, is to know and enjoy God. The goal of discipleship is to be with Jesus for who he is, not for the goods he brings, but for who he is. Like it said in our passage, Titus 2.13, he says that he is our great God and Savior. And I bring, I emphasize that word great because it's so critical here. It's so easy for us to to lose sight of that, to forget that, and it has this trickle-down effect on our discipleship, to lose a sense of the greatness of God. That much of the, the soul sickness um, that we encounter, much of the, the dullness and much of the apathy that we experience comes 
from this, losing sight of the greatness of God. Because what happens when we lose sight of the greatness of God is this. When we lose sight of the greatness of God, other things in our lives start to appear more shiny, don't they? Good things, even. Good things like community, good things like family, good things like a a good croissant or a spectacular TV show, right? We start turning to these things for ultimate satisfaction, the kind of thing that we can only get from an inexhaustible source of life and joy, and that is God himself from Jesus. And if you think about it, it's not that these things have gotten any shinier. It's not that these things have gotten brighter. It's only that our view of Jesus has gotten dimmer, that we've lost a sense of his greatness in our life, that we've, we've moved God from being where he should be. We move God from being great to merely being good, good like a good croissant, good like a great TV show. <laughs> and it gets even trickier. It gets trickier than this because we can do this with the church too. We can even do this with discipleship programs. I was reading a book on discipleship this week. And the writer of it, J.T. English, says this. I'll quote from it. He says, One of my greatest fears as a pastor is the idea that people might be satisfied with the church but bored with Jesus. And man, that struck me. Man, I do not want you to be so utterly and completely satisfied with this preaching or this church community or any of the discipleship opportunities that we have for you and yet at the same time have a heart that is dull and apathetic and uncaring to the person and the presence of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that would be an absolute disaster. And it's, it's scary because it's such a sleight of hand, isn't it? This is all Jesus-y stuff that we're talking about here. And so the question I'd ask for you is, what are you in this for? What are you even watching this for this morning? I mean, this is a good motivational sort of wrestling. Wrestle with yourself on this. What is bringing you out to even tune in this morning? Do you, are, do you enjoy the things of God more than God himself? I hope not. But I know how easy it is for us to get into that place. And so let me speak again from experience. If this is you, what we need to do, what we need to wrestle with in our hearts is to remember again the grace of God. That even when our heart demotes demotes him from being in that place where he's meant to be, from being great to merely being good, that nonetheless he is still great and in his greatness he has inexhaustible grace for us that will never run out. And so... That's what he extends to us. Even when we demote him, he extends still to us grace. And so what we need to do in this moment is to stop and to meditate on that, to remove the other distractions and say, God, you have become dull to me. I no longer want to be dull to you. I don't want you to just be good. I want you to be great in my life and to show your grace again to me. Enjoy him. Be in his presence. That's what it's about. And the effect of that will be like this old hymn where it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is the first goal of our discipleship, to know and enjoy God. But our discipleship goal doesn't end there. It has other outworkings to it that were mentioned in the passage that was read by Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, go back to Titus 2. And verse 11, 
It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In short, what it's saying here is that as we behold God, we become like God. We become like Him, self-controlled and upright and godly. And so the fully-fledged goal of discipleship, if you would have it, is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. To be with Jesus, become like him, and to do what he did. This is why discipleship in Scripture is so often linked with verses about character and holiness and, and, and obedience. Like Jesus says in John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Or Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, he says, you know, go out uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, right? Both of these fleshing out how obedience to the teachings of Jesus, doing what he did, uh, is part of what it means to be a disciple of him. And so you can see from this, this is a holistic vision of discipleship. It's not just, you know, the experience, as wonderful as that is, of being with God. There's obedience to it, right? There's all these, these different aspects. I used to think about discipleship a lot as, as an activity. I need to share my faith. It's something I sort of go and do. But what the, a, a more holistic version of discipleship is, is that's not just an activity. It's actually my identity. It says who I am in Jesus. And this includes a whole reorientation of myself and includes a reorientation of my will, of my mind, of my affections around God. And so everything we do should be about that. And everything we do as a church community should also be about that. Take something like communion, right? In ordinary non-COVID times, right? That was something we would do every week. This is a sort of habit of the heart. It was a spiritual discipline, something that we take in with our mouths, right, that is reshaping our hearts for unity, uh, confession and repentance, to have gratitude for what God has done, or this preaching. Hopefully, it's not just uh, reshaping some of your, your mind. It's also reshaping some of your heart to have more desire for God in your life. Of course, if you only tuned in for preaching once a week, if that was the only time you were fed, you would be starving. And so the discipleship doesn't end there. We offer uh, city groups and, and change groups, ways to spend time with God uh, weekly and daily in discipleship and prayer. These all contribute to discipleship. I'll explain those more in detail later. But this is also why we serve others. It's why, you know, explaining faith. We go to the mosque and share faith with our mother. Muslim friends. It's why we earnestly plead in prayer. It's why we are wrestling daily in scripture. It's why we worship because we're seeking to out of all of our heart and soul and strength and mind be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what he did. This is holistic vision of discipleship. And so the church is all about this. This is our commission. This is our mandate to forge uh, disciples. <clears throat> and so Forging disciples, if you think about it, that's something that takes time. There's, there's heat. Uh, there's pressure. There is pain in that. There's messiness in that. 
I want to um, communicate something that was uh, communicated to Trenton on, on our staff this past week. We have a ministry partner who is in the U.S., and he dreamed about being in one of our staff meetings. And in that staff meeting, we were all sitting around uh, this nice, clean plan. And as he was sitting there, the, a, a particular verse came to him, and it was Proverbs 14.4. And this is the verse. It reads, where there, are, <clears throat> where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. And in that dream, as he was sitting around us as staff with our clean plan, he felt moved in the spirit to stand up and declare this over us, to preach the word of God and say that, guys, if you want to have a clean stall, if you want to have a managed, a planned, and a canine stall, then keep the oxen out. But if you want to see renewal, if you want to see a move of God, it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard work. And isn't that true of our lives as well? Isn't that true of what it means for us to be forging disciples? That it is hard work and there is a messiness involved in that. And yet God wants to use that to bring renewal in our lives. And I believe he wants to use that to bring renewal in our church as well. And all of this comes by the Spirit's power. It's the Spirit's power that comes with all that heat, right? It's the Spirit's power that comes with all that pressure on us to bring about, to forge the maturity that we need in Christ. So let's talk about that. What does it look like to be a mature disciple? I'm going to give you three things briefly that I see in Scripture. One, you pursue holiness. To be a mature disciple is to pursue holiness. We saw this in our scripture. Verse 13, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And I should say when I'm saying this then, that a mature disciple doesn't care about these things because they're trying to be pharisaical. Not they're trying to impress others. No, Jesus, Jesus has already impressed the Father on my behalf. I don't need to be impressing Jesus or anything else like that. No, I'm pursuing these things because I care about God, and I don't want anything to come in the way of his holy presence in my life or anyone else's life, and that is why I pursue a holy character. Hebrews 12, 14 says it like this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you want to see flushed out, uh, examples of holiness, look at the descriptions of the elders and, and deacons in Scripture. They're said not to be overbearing or quick-tempered or quarrelsome or violent or lovers of money or drunkards, rather to be self-controlled and hospitable and disciplined and blameless and sincere and above reproach. And the list goes on. <laughs> Essentially, to be pursuing holiness results in a type of person who is, has a character rounded in this way. You could sum it up maybe even in the fruits of the Spirit, that there's somebody who is characterized when you interact with them by love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. These are the things that we want to see in our characters as we become like Jesus. And so a mature Christian is someone who is pursuing this. They are pursuing a holy character. Another evidence of a mature disciple is stability. Stability. Paul, <clears throat> Paul talks about this as he addresses uh, the Ephesians church. He says in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, he prays that we would be built up in the knowledge of God 
and become mature. No longer infants tossed to and fro by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Stability. <clears throat> Not like infants. You know, let me confess something to you. Uh, my daughter Hazel, she's two years old, and several months ago, the neighbor across the street gave us, she's been giving us actually quite a few toys. She's just cleaning out our basement or something. And she gave us a rocking horse. And so I brought the rocking horse home and I put it in Hazel's room. And Hazel walked into the room and she said, oh, daddy, what is it? And in the moment, my mind blanked. And I just couldn't remember what they call those stinking things. And so I said, the first thing that came to mind, I said, it's a seahorse. And to this day, she still calls it a seahorse. <laughs> And I did not mean to be deceptive, <laughs> but this, this just illustrates the nature of infants, that they believe the last thing that you told them. They're, you know, blown, like Paul says, by every wind of teaching. And in contrast to that, Paul prays that we would be built up in the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God. This is what doctrine is, the knowledge of God. This is why studying God matters. This is why doctrine in theology matters. It's not doctrine for its own sake. It's not doctrine just so you can become smart. No, it's not about that at all. It's about doctrine so you can know God better, so you can love Him better. You could say it like this. How do you love someone you do not know? So this is why Paul says it's for your maturity. It's important you know why you believe what you believe. This will keep you stable. This will keep you stable in the face of every ideology and ism and mantra that comes your way and, and blows against you, that you will be a mature disciple rooted in who you are in Christ. You know in whom you have believed and what you believe. A mature disciple pursues stability. They pursue holiness. They pursue stability. And then one more thing, they are committed to community. Paul, in that same chapter of Ephesians, talks about how maturity takes place in the context of the local church. He says, actually, that the church builds itself up, meaning that we build each other up as we grow in maturity in Christ. How? Well, it's the Spirit working through the other believers. It's the effect of the Spirit in and through other believers working on you, on me. In other words, the Spirit doesn't just work in you. It works through those around you. And so if you want to become a mature disciple, let me say it like this. It is impossible to become a mature disciple without being a part of a local church community. It's impossible. This is just as frustrating as it is, as, as annoying as it is, because community is so messy and, and, and hard and, and there's all this conflict that comes a part of it and we want to just be rid of it sometimes and be on our own, as messy and as difficult it is, is God knew that and yet he still chose it to be the means by which you would grow up into maturity in Christ. <laughs> and he says even in this that you will learn about his love. <laughs> Um, Jesus in John 13, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you were my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> and so do you love your church family? Are you committed to your church family? I mean, in a way, they're, they're committed to you by the grace of God. 
And God has ordained them in your life for you to grow up into maturity in Christ. And so these are the pictures, just some of them, that Scripture gives us of what it means to grow up into maturity in Christ, pursuing a holy character, having stability in your belief, and being committed uh, to a local church uh, community. Now, I recognize that for some of you in hearing this, uh, this has probably been kind of hard. That that talking about maturity hasn't been life-giving to your ears, but sort of has felt like a burden on you, a weight on you. <laughs> that maybe when you're listening to this, you feel like, I am just so far from the descriptions that Jordan has given there. But know that I have not described this, guys, so that you would feel any inch of guilt or any inch of your shortcomings before God, but rather so that you would have a vision of what is possible by the power of the Spirit. <sighs> Guys, this, this is for you too, okay? Maturity in Christ isn't just for someone else out there. It's for you. And I give this again as a vision of what is possible for you by the power of the Spirit. I'm not trying to add a weight on your shoulders. What you need to hear is those things which seem to be immovable. When it comes to God, when it comes to God being at work in our lives, those things, he can move those things. He can shift those things. Um, another thing, um, <laughs> I don't know what it is with Trenton and, and dreams, okay? But somebody else had another dream for Trenton this past week, and it was about him specifically. And it was that Trenton was at the dentist's office, and he was having the elastics on his braces uh, replaced. Now, Trenton doesn't have braces. Have you ever had braces? He's had braces in the past, but he doesn't have braces now. Um, and what they felt, what the Spirit of God was saying for our church community in this is that even in our lives, guys, there feels like parts of us that, that seem completely stuck, that feel completely unmovable, things like braces and or things like our teeth right things like our jaw right they feel completely fixed and yet with with the help of the great physician with the help of the spirit of god and a lot of time these things can actually be moved by the spirit and even when we have setbacks even when sin occurs in our lives in the in the elastics break that if we turn and immediately run to the great physician, he is able to set us back on course. He is able to bring to completion the good work that he has begun in us. And that was an encouraging word for me. And I pray that that would be an encouraging word for you. That he has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is able to move the parts of our lives that seem the most fixed by the power of his spirit, even if slowly over time. A grace of God that produces this change. You'll notice in this verse, it is the same uh, grace that saves us, that trains us. Um, and so even when we feel uh, unable and we feel inadequate, um, we can just run again and be reminded that it is grace that brings about the change that we need in our lives. This brings us to our last question. Now, how do we grow up? Uh, to be mature disciples in Jesus? How do we grow up into maturity as disciples? What are, what, how I'm going to answer this is I'm going to explain to you some of the different uh, discipleship spaces, the different opportunities for discipleship that are available for you as part of 
being part of Church 21 and being part of this uh, community. And before I do that, I just want to kind of give you some overarching uh, notes that I want to say to you. One is that uh, as a church community, we do talk about renewal. We do talk about uh, mission. We do talk about uh, church planting quite a bit. And it might appear to you when you hear those phrases, especially if you come from a more traditional church background, that we are attempting to go wide at the expense of going deep. But the reality is, is that our great commission given to us by Jesus is not that we just go wide, but at the same time that we go deep. That as we go and make disciples, we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. And that is our vision and our heart behind what we're doing here uh, at Church 21. We are all about mission and church planning. We are also all about discipleship and maturity in Christ. A second thing that I want to say to you is I recognize that this has been a very difficult season for discipleship. A pandemic, COVID-19, the isolation, the depression that has been associated with the isolation has put, uh, for a lot of people, the sense of a sort of blanket on them. And what I would pastorally recommend to you is in that, don't tap out of the discipleship spaces that have been made available for you. These very things are on offer to you so that you can keep fighting against what is occurring, the depression and the other things that are occurring during this time. And so even though it's, I don't like Zoom, I, I wouldn't prefer you know, I would prefer us to be in person so much more. Please don't, um, you know, tap out of those things. Make, make use of the resources that God has graciously allowed us to have. The third thing I would say is that we care about your discipleship. As a pastoral team, we want to be with you and then championing you on as you grow up into maturity in Christ. And we don't just do this through the preaching. Um, if you have questions, if you have specific things you're wondering, how do I grow up, uh, Jordan or Dwight or any of the other pastors, how do I grow up into maturity in Christ? Just reach out to us. Send us an email. Send us a text. Uh, and we would be happy to walk with you in that, to see you mature in your faith. This is our heart. This is our calling. This is why we are here. Now, as I go through the different opportunities, the different discipleship spaces available, I've sort of broken them into the three main uh, categories I gave for what is the goal of a disciple, to, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. So being with Jesus, what are the discipleship spaces available for that? Well, first and foremost, you have like the bedrock spiritual disciplines and devotion. You have prayer and you have scripture. And I could talk about this every week, and yet I still know it's necessary for me to talk about that. Because without those, we will not be sustained in our, our, in our devotion to Jesus. And so those things are completely necessary. And you need to be pursuing them, prayer, uh, on your own time. It keeps you dependent on God. You need to be pursuing that in your own time. But we've also created spaces so that you can do that in the context of the church community. Do I Mentioned at the beginning, uh, we have uh, prayer available in person, even during COVID, uh, in the South Shore, in NDG, in the West Island. So reach out uh, to us if you'd want to be part of that. We have prayer available online uh, every week on the Wednesday mornings. Please uh, make yourself, um, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. Um, being a part of a prayer like that, it helps. When you hear other people pray, like, let me give you an example. This past week, um, we use the time as an opportunity to give thanks to God for different things that were happening in our lives. And when I go 
to pray with God alone, which is important and necessary. And when I'm giving, uh, expressing gratitude to God, there's a limit of how many things pop into my head when I'm giving gratitude towards God, right? But when I was on the Wednesday morning Zoom and we were doing this, there was all these other angles of who God is and what he's done that were reminded to me. So praying with community helps us grow even in our own prayer and our our gratitude for who God is. So pursue prayer. Also pursue the word. That's another way that we be in uh, the presence of Jesus. We need to be in the word daily because we are influenced by all of these other voices that are vying for our attention, seeking to shape our hearts and to shape our minds into a different direction than being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Some of the opportunities available for you are if you are into uh, video Bible studies, you can get a free subscription uh, on of Right Now Media that's available uh, by going to our website and filling out a form if you haven't already. There's all sorts of video Bible study courses on there. It's like the Christian version of Netflix. It's like unlimited. Um, If you're into written Bible studies, our church is a member of the Gospel Coalition. You can go uh, under resources and then courses, and you can study any book of the Bible. Uh, If you have questions about, you know, which course to pursue or whatever, feel free to reach out to me. We want to see you growing in scripture. Um, We also offer something called change groups. Uh, Change groups are guys with guys, uh, girls with girls, two to three who are reading scripture, uh, identifying, naming, and confessing their sin, uh, and then holding each other accountable and praying for each other. And that's a super vital, basic part of what it means to be a Christian and to be with Jesus. Um, And so if you're not part of a change group, reach out to your city group leader or send me an email. And we want to get you connected into one of those because those are vital, vital um, for your discipleship. That deep, intentional uh, community is where a lot of this stuff forms. And so be with Jesus. Prayer, the word. These are different uh, discipleship spaces we have for you. Become like Jesus. What are the discipleship spaces there? I would say spiritual disciplines is a vital one. If you want to learn about spiritual disciplines, go in our podcast and go back to the summer where we spoke on creating a rule of life and spiritual disciplines. Those two sermons will be helpful starting points for you. And then if you want to go and find more resources, go to practicingtheway.org. That's practicingtheway.org. And there's no limit on resources on silence and solitude and fasting and on and on and on. And I would encourage you to pursue spiritual disciplines because they reorder the habits of not just your mind, but your whole life to be shaped, um, to be more like Jesus, to become like Jesus. Um, the other thing is that we need to be not just doing spiritual disciplines, but we need to be in community and in community fighting our sins. So we have our Sunday gatherings, we have our city groups, and we have our change groups. And all of those are in. Incre- Uh, discipleship spaces that have increasing uh, intentionality built into them so that you can be known and uh, know and be known in community. And there there is people who know you enough who can actually call out the sin in your life and then minister the gospel to you. I need that and you need that. And so we have change groups, which I've already mentioned. Um, Another discipleship space when it comes to Um, becoming like Jesus and fighting our sin is that for the men in our church community, we have something called the Conquerors Group. And this is a group that helps people find, discover freedom from sexual addiction with the power of the gospel. 
Um, and there is many uh, men in our church who have walked through that. There are men in our church who are currently walking uh, through that. And if that's something that you are struggling with, I would invite you to reach out to me. And man, there is no awkwardness in that, in that kind of thing. I, I celebrate when somebody wants to see freedom from a sexual addiction, I celebrate that. And so have no shame in reaching out uh, about something like that. Uh, and for women, we want to be able to offer the same sort of support group. And so if that's something that interests you, if that's something you want to be part of, again, there's no shame in Jesus' name. Just reach out to me, and we would love to start something uh, for the woman uh, like that. So being with Jesus um, in the word and in prayer, becoming like Jesus through spiritual disciplines and fighting sin and deep community like change groups and the conquerors groups, um, and then finally, doing what Jesus did. Jesus, he, he sends us out. He, he, he leaves us with the great commission. He says, go into the whole world, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that looks like a life of mission, and that looks like a life of service. And there are so many ways for us to do that. There's so many opportunities uh, available for us uh, to do that. The primary ways that we have in the context of our church community is to be serving in the context of your city group uh, location. Our different city groups were serving in their different neighborhoods up until uh, when COVID started. We were able to serve our neighbors. Um, and now it's had to readapt and we're able to more serve each other. But we're still looking for opportunities in this time to serve. And so like things like the uh, mental wellness uh, course that we're running, that was an opportunity uh, that came for us to serve. Um, but also things like Brian talked about last week, um, stewarding our resources, our time, our talents, and our treasure, um, being generous people. These are all ways that we do what Jesus did. Um, and the final thing is, uh, I mentioned this, but making disciples, that uh, one of the discipleship spaces that we have for that, if you want to uh, learn to share your faith better, is something called explaining faith. And explaining faith is for a place, it's a space for you to learn about why you believe what you believe. And not just learn about it, but actually go out and the group goes to mosques sometimes or it invites guest speakers in. Um, and and that's, that's a space where you can grow in your, um, in your discipleship, in your uh, evangelism. And so all of these are discipleship spaces that are available to us in the context of our church community. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And so those are the opportunities for us. Um, let me close us in prayer, and then we'll move into a time of response. Lord, I thank you that you have uh, called us to be disciples of you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, move us along in that, that you would break in us anything that is holding us back. If there are, if there are things that we are having uh, difficulty letting go of, if there are things that we, we don't want to deny in our lives in pursuit of you, that you would break those things off and that we would run to you and see you as better, as, as, as good and as trustworthy in our lives. Help us to do that, God. And next, I pray that you would help us take advantage of the opportunities that you have made available for us. Lord, we know um, you say that you bring us to maturity through your body, through the community of the church. Um, and so, Lord, help us to press into that even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Lord, help us to take advantage of that. Spirit of God, we need you. Um, I ask this, that you would come and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.